Welcome to Life is Love School. Hi everyone, welcome back to Life is Love School. Today I want to cover the 30 signs that you suffer childhood trauma. So childhood trauma is generally defined as you suffering a overwhelming sense of danger where it is above and beyond what you believe you could handle at the point. And oftentimes it involves a feeling of where your survival is threatened. So the common ways that we can suffer trauma are, for example, experiencing violence, abuse, and neglect, or you could be witnessing the violence done in the home or in the community or having a family member commit suicide or threaten suicide or die by accident. Or if you have a caretaker or family member having mental health issues or substance abuse, the other common area of trauma is um, instability in the family. For example, the parental separation or one of the parents going to jail. So the importance of understanding trauma is that they're often linked to chronic health issues. It could be mental health issues, there is a dramatic increase in cardiovascular diseases, cancer risk, chronic pain, as well as heightened uh, opportunities for depression, anxiety, of course, post-traumatic stress disorders, all sorts of ill effects. And it's known to also shorten telomeres uh, length, which leads to a shorter lifespan. So knowing all this, and I don't want to scare you, but it's it's good to know what are some of the signs because a lot of times, if we suffer childhood abuse and we feel like you know, is it is there something broken about me? Is anybody else also experiencing these symptoms? So I want to walk through some of the common symptoms, so that you know that. These are, are common across people that survived excuse, uh, abuse growing up and that it's not a, abnormal. So I hope that can bring you some comfort in knowing that it's simply your brain and your body trying to cope with something that is unimaginable and it did the best it can. So on a, like a general level, I'll just set some of the groundwork for this. So trauma has been shown by research to impact our brain. So it's actually a structural impact to the brain. So it physically changes the brain's structure, especially if the trauma happened early in our lives. It's especially damaging because by um, the age of three, 80% of our brain is formed and by age five, 90% is formed. Even though our brain is not completely developed, especially the prefrontal cortex, the executive function portion is not fully grown until age 25. The majority of our brain, 90% of it is formed by age five. So these are very critical period. And if we suffered abandonment, neglect, abuse of any kind, it could have lasting effects. So some of the brain regions that are impacted that studies have shown are amygdala. So the amygdala is a almond-shaped structure in the brain in our limbic system, which they also call the mammalian brain. So this part of the brain is what reptiles don't have. So reptiles generally are known to not have emotions, but mammals like you know dogs and cats and cows and pigs, we all have the mammalian brain. And the amygdala in particular is a brain part that processes fear. So it's called the brain's alarm system. So it's also always watching and looking out for danger. 
It also stores emotional information, so emotional memory regarding traumatic incidents. So for those of us that suffer childhood abuse, generally what they find is there is an enlargement. So our amygdala is larger because of trauma. It's not only larger, but there's also a heightened activity. So it's hyperactive also in people that suffer trauma. Another brain region that is changed by traumatic experience is the prefrontal cortex area. So the frontal cortex is the last part of the human brain to develop fully. It's also what distinguishes us from other animals. So it's where the thinking brain, so the executive functions, the conscious decision-making, it's also the brake system to our emotions. So let's say that I get really angry and I really want to slap a coworker, but our prefrontal cortex would then say, you know, that's not a good idea, calm down, take some deep breath. So the prefrontal cortex is what keeps our emotions in check. What happens in trauma survivors is our prefrontal cortex actually shrinks. So there is cell death actually in the prefrontal cortex and cell shrinkage. So our prefrontal cortex volume is smaller and there's also lower activity. So hypoactivity in the prefrontal cortex. So you have a combination of an amygdala. So the alarm system sending a very strong alarm signal coupled with the fact that the prefrontal cortex, the executive function, the thinking brain not working as well to keep that limbic system, the fear response in check. So that's why a lot of trauma survivors have issues with emotional balance, keeping your emotions in check, getting easily flooded and triggered. All of these are a side effect of being abused as a child. The other part of the brain that is damaged in the traumatic experience growing up is the hippocampus. So that is a part of brain that is known to take short-term memory and turn it into long-term storage. And this is why many survivors have problems, remember parts, parts of their childhood. They may have flashbacks or getting triggered, but not remembering what happened in their childhood, what was a specific incident. A lot of trauma survivors have large portions of their childhood entirely blank. They don't remember what happened. So since I'm talking about 30 uh, symptoms, I thought I'd give you this overview so you know a bit about how the brain is changed structurally. So that's why you can't just snap out of it. But through a lot of the work that I teach, for example, in the group coaching program, mindfulness, um, journaling, self-reflection, body work, a lot of this can restore some of our brain function because our brain is plastic. And that's one of the biggest blessings in the world, I think. We can't grow a new arm, but there are neural genesis that could happen even later in life. And that's something that is I think a truly uh, revelational um, piece of all the neuroscience work that came out is that it gives a lot of us hope that things could be better. If there is no neurogenesis, then a person who has paralysis after an accident cannot learn to walk again, but they can learn to walk again. They can learn to talk again, even if they temporarily lost their speaking functions because the brain can grow, it can form new wiring, and there are selective neuron growth, for example, in the hippocampus. So some of the brain function can be restored. Our prefrontal cortex functionality can be strengthened through mindfulness exercises such as meditation. So there is a lot of hope. So I just want you to know that upfront. So today I'll go over the, the first 10 or 15 or so, and let's see how far we can go. 
So one of the issues that a lot of trauma survivors will feel is difficulty in managing stressful emotions. So you feel anxious a lot. So there is a lot of uh, ruminations. The brain is always preparing for what's going to go wrong. So that's number two. You might feel like when your uh, uh, head hits the sack, that's when you start to ruminate a lot because during the day you are so busy working, reading email, talking to other people that the brain does not have any space to process things. So what it does is at night when there's nothing else to distract you, all the background noise then comes out and you start to ruminate. So that's number two, rumination. And then number three is you get easily startled. So I talked about the amygdala and how it's the alarm center. If the alarm is super big and hyperactive, then you get startled easily. So you may be in a movie and watching a action movie and all of a sudden there's a, a movement, somebody jumps out with a gun. Um, you might just be the only person in a theater that shoots up from your seat and screams. That is a response that happens so fast that it didn't even hit your thinking brain. So before you even cognitively recognize what happened on the screen, you already leaped up. So that is a sign that you have a hyperactive amygdala. So easily startled is another sign. That's sign number three. Sign number four is that for you, justice is a trigger and you feel very angry in the face of injustice. And this is a common one because uh, many of us grew up where there is no justice. Our parents, for example, completely abused their authorities and they did things to us that was grossly unfair and we didn't have a choice. So later in life, um, some of us may become activists, right? We channel that towards activism, but it's also um, can be very triggering. For example, in workplace situations where you see discrimination, where you see amoral, things being done to other people, it could be very triggering for you. And then talking about triggers, so number five is triggers. So triggers are things that remind you of what happened when you were growing up. So for example, um, if you were beaten up whenever your father showed um, anger or frustration in his face, then later in life, if you see another man making that face, even if that person is never known to be violent, you may feel very triggered and you all of a sudden feel fight or flight and all this adrenaline is coursing through your body because it reminded you of what happened before. So that's sign number five. Sign number six is somewhat related to that, but you may, you know, when you see a trigger, you may all of a sudden have an emotional flashback, meaning that you forgot where you are. You are no longer this you know, 30, 40 year old adult. You all of a sudden become a child and you become very afraid. The past becomes a present. You feel like you're back in your childhood and you feel like you are in actual danger when you are not. And another sign is nightmares. A lot of us might have recurring emotional nightmares where the content of the nightmare may be complete nonsense. But if you double click into the feelings you felt in the nightmare, some of us may feel, you know, we're helpless in a nightmare or the feeling of injustice, etc. That's pointing to some of the traumatic emotions that's stored. So you may not have the actual details of what happened to you when you were a child because part of the damage to the brain is hippocampus. It's not storing the memory into long-term memory, the details of it. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but there's also uh, some damages done to the um, 
corpus callosum, which connects the left and the right brain. So, you know, the left brain stores the details of what happened, the right brain stores more of the emotional memory. The two are not coming together. So you may have the emotional memory, but you don't have the details of when, who did what, who said what, etc. And the two are disconnected, but you do remember the emotions. So then sign number seven is that in order to escape the feelings of anxiety or depression or the bad feelings from the past, what you do is that you would stay busy. So some of us are known to overwork, overexercise, just do too much, rest too little, because the busier we are, the less we have to deal with what's on the inside. So they said, if you really want to uh, torture somebody who has anxiety issues, force them to stay in a room by themselves, right? There's probably a reason why in jail, they put solitary confinement as one of the worst punishments because a lot of inmates suffered uh, from childhood trauma and PTSD as well. So being alone oftentimes is harder than doing something. And that's why a lot of us, when we go on vacation, we may feel more stressed than when, when you're not on vacation. Because when you're on vacation on a beach and there's nothing else to distract you, all you have are the inner critic, the thoughts in your head, the anxiety in your body, and you have to actually deal with that. So talking about that, um, number eight is addictions. So some of us then choose to run away through addictions. So people don't think about this, but overworking, overexercising, they're also addictions because it generates neurochemicals in the body to help you feel better. For example, um, dopamine, um, endorphins. When you're working out, you definitely get a hit of endorphin. It's like a, a painkiller, so you feel better. And some of us like dangerous sports. So you have to focus 100% on what you're doing or your life is in danger. So that forcefully takes your mind into the present moment, right? Which you could do in a, in a potentially a safer way through meditation, but meditation is not easy because it requires you to focus. Whereas if you are doing very dangerous sport, it is do or die. So a lot of us get addicted to that. And some of us, of course, get addicted to illegal drugs or we use prescription drugs off-label incorrectly for the relief, or some of us overeat, some of us drink too much, some of us play video games too much, or stay on Facebook for too long. All of these are escape mechanisms. So it's the, the flight mechanism and the fight, flight freeze fawn. So some of us do that. So that's number eight, um, is addictions. Talking about this, um, they've done a rat study where they give rats laced water, so water that's laced with cocaine, and the rats would press a lever and to get that water until they basically exhaust themselves and die. But when they change the rat environment to make it an enriched environment, meaning that there is a rat park with things to play with, they have friends there, other rats, the rat would only drink water. They would stop pressing the lever for cocaine. So that's very interesting. It's telling you that the opposite of addiction is actually not sobriety, but is connection. So just wanna bring that up as well to consider. So number nine of signs that's related to emotional regulation and trauma survivors is self-harm. So again, some of us, in order to escape the pain inside, we would harm ourselves. So it could be pulling our hair, skin picking, it could be cutting, etc. Cause sometimes it just feels better to have a release 
So to focus something else, and then when you're cutting yourself, the pain would take you away from ruminating in the past or worrying about the future. It forces your mind to be in a present moment. It's just not a very skillful way to do it. It damages your body. Obviously, it invites infection. Sometimes it's unsightly. Um, there are better ways to do that, but self-harm is real, and that's why people do it, is to, instead of feeling the emotional pain, they'd rather feel the physical pain and use the physical pain to bring them back into the present moment. Number 10 is that some of us, because we can't deal with difficult emotions, we would joke about things. So for example, this could be a person who talks about a very painful past, and when people ask them how they feel, they either say, I don't feel anything, because they've already shut down their emotions, they learned to do that growing up to survive, or they joke about it. So they could be, um, having a serious conversation with a partner where the partner is trying to communicate something serious and this person would try to distance from this kind of conversation by using jokes to diffuse the tension, etc. But it's really a distancing strategy. It's trying to not feel some of the emotions that are triggering. Number 11 is that people would say or friends would tell you that you're acting like a child. And this can happen in many ways. So one legacy of trauma is that many of us never fully grow up. So some people may feel like they are stuck in the age where the abuse got really bad or when it got started. A lot of us get stuck between the ages of seven and nine. And we could easily regress into this child state if we are triggered. So we could feel that we're back into being a helpless child and we start acting differently, we may start using a different voice, we speak differently, etc. Or some of us have impulse control problems. So in dysfunctional families, what happens is a lot of times you have to take what is good now. So you cannot wait till later. So for example, if you have a parent who is a drug or alcohol addict and the parent is offering to take you out for ice cream, then you better have that ice cream now instead of later. If they say, well, I can take you out now or we can wait till the evening and let's go out, you will definitely say, let's do it now because who knows what's gonna happen in the evening. So in dysfunctional families, uh, kids are not trained or encouraged or learn, they learn not to delay gratification. They learn to have instant gratification, which translated to adulthood is that they're not good at saying no to themselves. So that's where a lot of the binge eating, eating too much sugar, watching too much TV, staying up too late and not going to bed early enough. These are childlike behaviors that shows a lack of impulse control. And then number 12 is that there is a fundamental belief that the world is dangerous. So a lot of the core beliefs are subconscious. It's not like this person is going around the world and saying, hey, I believe the world is dangerous. But the survivor would act this way, meaning that they are constantly watching out for the other shoe to drop. If things are going well, they immediately think that something bad is going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. So when you walk around the world feeling like the world is dangerous, then you are always hypervigilant. You're always watching for something to go wrong. And it's very, very hard to relax in that environment. So number 13. Number 13 is that you feel exhausted a lot. And this is not hard to understand because if we have a heightened cortisol response, meaning 
the stress hormone is cruising through our brain and our body and is triggering fight or flight, our heart rate goes up, our, our, um, our body is getting ready for, for basically combat. So our muscles are tense, our breathing is shallow and fast. All of this burns a lot of energy, not to mention the rumination, etc. So if we cannot relax, then we feel exhausted all the time. Of course, it also impacts our sleep, so that kind of goes in a cycle. So feeling tired all the time is also another sign. Number 14 is memory loss. So I mentioned before that, first of all, hippocampus is damaged in the traumatic experience growing up. And therefore, you will have chunks of your life where you just don't remember anything. And this is another reason why it's extremely important as an adult to find ways to relieve stress that is healthy because chronic stress is known to cause cell death in the brain and it will continue to damage your brain. So if you don't keep the stress under control, it's very important to do that. So number 15 is where I will stop. Um, it's a sign as you're saying sorry all the time. So if you grew up in a household where you were made to be responsible for things that you shouldn't be responsible for, for example, how your parents feel, things that you didn't do, not in your control, etc., made you feel wrong for simply existing, then you may have picked up the habit of apologizing for things that is not your fault at all. And this is quite unfortunate. I observe a lot of women do that. For example, if it's raining, they'll apologize for the bad weather. If the traffic is bad, they'll apologize for the traffic. Obviously, they can't control any of that, but then they feel bad over it. And um, I will cover more of this in the next talk, which I'll cover points number you know 16 on. But in our next session, I'll talk about the ramifications on the interpersonal relationship sides of having suffered trauma. If these points resonate with you, let me know. And of course, if I miss anything, please write it down in the comments. I always love the feedback. It's the community that makes this great. And of course, if you're interested in discussions like this, understanding trauma, the effects of it, how to heal from it, I would love to invite you to the Women Only Coaching Group and I'll put the link below. Until next time, take care.